Hi friends, welcome to the Hey Fundraiser podcast. I'm your host, Mary Hackett, and whether you are a frontline fundraiser, the operations professional, a board member, or just someone wanting to make an impact in your community, this podcast is for you. We cover all facets of fundraising, and our main objective is to give you ideas and inspiration to help you raise more money. Join us as we grow, learn, and make an impact together. Hey, fundraiser, I hope you are having a great day. I want to share with you a couple stories today, some creative cultivation techniques that I hope will inspire you and just give you some fresh ideas on how to cultivate donors. I was working with one of my major gift coaching clients the other day, and we were talking about his his portfolio and we were talking about three particular prospects and like how to get in the door with them. You know, what does that first meeting look like? You know, maybe the first three significant moves that he needed to make with these donors to really set the table. And I shared a story with him and he said to me, you should totally put this on your podcast. So here I am, Carlos, thank you for the great idea. And I actually wanna share two stories with you today. Because we, as a nonprofit community, we should share stories with each other. We should share wins and successes, but also failures and trials, because that's how we advance as a sector. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about some successful stories. My next podcast, however, I'm going to talk about some failures, and I'm already dreading recording that podcast because it's really hard to shine a light on your failures. But like I said, we're a community and we need to learn from each other and lift each other up. So today I want to talk to you about cultivation, which is really timely. So many of my major gift coaching clients are making significant, substantial moves with their prospects. I mean, really to get them ready for autumn solicitations and year-end solicitation. I spent half of my career in major gifts in healthcare. So both of the stories I'm gonna share with you today are from healthcare. However, I hope you'll become inspired by the techniques and adapt them for whatever part of the nonprofit community you're affiliated with. Whether it's education or youth development or animals environment or advocacy. These are techniques that I, although I use them in healthcare, you should use them, adapt them, and hopefully it will spark some creative cultivation techniques for you. So my first story, this was in the early 2000s. And I was, I was early in on my career. And this man, his name was Chauncey. He was on my radar. I knew he had made a handful of major gifts to other organizations. He was a widower and he lived alone. He was also in his early 70s. And one day I decided to call him. Now, I'm making this sound very easy breezy. Back in the early 2000s, when I was just starting out as a major gift officer, I was scared to call anybody. I I had this dread of the cold call, the you know, the the dreaded cold call where you just think everybody's going to hang up on you or you're going to ruin a relationship with a donor before it's even started. I mean, all of these thoughts, of course, are going through my head. 
So it probably took me like three days of, you know, really positive self-talk to actually pick up the phone and call him. But I did. And back then, I it was really hard for me to make cold calls. So I would always send a note. I would send a little handwritten note that says, hey, I'm going to give you a call. Because then when they picked up the phone, I could say, hey, did you get my note? <laughs> like it was just this security blanket. It was this safety measure that helped me get over my cold calls. Now today, I will pick up the phone and call anybody. But back then it was it was really stressful for me. So I did decide to call Chauncey and he picked up and, you know, I had that rush, that rush of heat that, oh my gosh, the donor's on the phone. (laughs) So um, he answered, I introduced myself and I said, oh, I just recently sent you a note. I just wanted to call, you know, talk to you about the hospital that I work at, all this good stuff. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I got your note and, you know, I'd love to chat. So I said, great. Well, unbeknownst to me, he had just had surgery at the hospital that I was working at, and it was back surgery. And this was before like overnight patient screening, where you knew who was in-house, you knew, today you know, like who's, who are the outpatients, who are the inpatients, and you're well screening, and you're getting, you know, the first thing you come in in the morning, you're getting a list of all the people that have been in and out of the hospital and what their wealth screening is. Well, this was way before that. So I didn't realize that he had been in the hospital. So he's sharing with me that he had had back surgery and that he couldn't really meet with me because he couldn't really leave the house. And he did say that his doctor had told him that he needed to walk every day. And so I said, Chauncey, I will walk with you. So and he said, okay. So the very next day, I went to his house at seven o'clock in the morning, which is when he said he would be walking. You know, I took off my heels, put on my gym shoes and was thinking, you know, we are going to go for this brisk walk. No, no, no. This it was just like around his driveway, which was fine. And I mean, the man had just had back surgery. So we walked around his driveway, you know, maybe 10, 20 minutes. And and he just kind of He didn't say much, but we kind of got to know each other a little bit. And I said, can I come back tomorrow and walk with you again? And he said, of course. So I walked with Chauncey three or four days a week for six months. I Somebody recently said to me like, oh, it's like your own little personal walkathon, which it kind of was. And I never thought about it like that, but it kind of was. Now, Chauncey lived in a big, beautiful home and he had this nice paved very flat driveway and it it was circular around his home but if you walk to the street and back it was probably about a half mile so over the next several months I walked with him I went to his house at seven o'clock took off my heels put my gym shoes on and we walked now sometimes we didn't say much sometimes he talked about his wife who had you know passed away years ago Sometimes we talked about the weather. Sometimes we just walked. But there was something, I think, very comforting to him that he wasn't walking alone. And I could see him getting stronger. I could see him walking more. I mean, every week we would make it closer to the street and we would turn around and go back to his house. Now, in this time, which was really only like 30 minutes together, you know, every morning, three or four mornings a week, 
I would tell him a little bit about the hospital, what was going on. He would tell me what's going on in his life. We would talk about current events. I mean, we just, it was a very easy relationship build. And six months into it, I had said to him, you know, I would like to ask you for a gift at some point. And he said, that would be lovely. And he said, but why don't we make that official and I'll come to the hospital and maybe we can have lunch in the cafeteria. And I thought, okay. So a week or two went by, we made arrangements and we sat down to have lunch in the cafeteria. Well, as we were walking to the cafeteria from my office, there was a huge section of the hospital that was under construction. In fact, they were building a new NICU. Well, Chauncey had never really shared this with me, but he had had two babies pass away at that hospital in the, I think it was like the late 50s, early 60s. And this is this is before NICUs existed. NICUs came about in like the middle 1960s. But even then, they were very kind of archaic. Now, of course, over the last 60 years, things have gotten very advanced, thank heavens. But back then, you know, when babies were born and had trouble, many of them didn't survive. And I did not know that he, I just thought he didn't have children. I didn't know that he had had two babies that had passed away. Well, he ended up sharing that with me over lunch. And as we had walked to the cafeteria, I had said, oh, we're building a new NICU and, you know, it's going to have all these cool things and all this stuff. Now, I had planned to ask him for a $250,000 gift to support surgery, which was what he had had. He had had back surgery. It was very successful. He was getting stronger. He loved his physician. He loved all of his care team. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll just ask for $250,000 for general surgery. Well, when he shared with me that he had had two babies pass away, on the fly, as we sat down for lunch, and he knew I was going to ask for a gift because I did ask for permission, I said, you know, I was going to ask you for a gift for general surgery, but now I'm wondering if the new NICU is something that you would like to support. And he thought about it, and he said, you know, I would. I would like to support that. I love my care team, but this would really bring some nice closure to me. And although his babies had passed away, you know, like 30, 40 years in the, in the past, this felt very personal and timely to him, which which was lovely, I unbeknownst to me. So after that lunch, I said, I'm going to send you a little something in the mail, like a formal proposal. And in that proposal, I asked him for a $250,000 gift. Well, a couple of days later, and, you know, I continued to walk with him. He did not mention getting the proposal. He didn't mention reading it. You know, we just, I just would show up at seven o'clock in the morning and we would walk for 30 minutes. Well, about a week later, I was at my desk and a courier came and I opened the door and signed for whatever this little package envelope was. And I opened it up and it was a million dollar gift from Chauncey to name that NICU. Now, he named it after his two daughters that had passed away, but it was a very, it was a very meaningful gift. Now, 
it's not very often, I want to just say this very clearly, it's not very often that you get more than what you're asking for. However, I never would have known that he had had these two babies pass away unless he had happened to come to the hospital that day. The NICU was under construction. We happened to walk that way to get to the cafeteria. And I had spent months and months and months walking with him to recover from back surgery and that he felt comfortable enough to share with me that he had lost two children, which I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what that would be like. So Chauncey has since passed away. I mean, this is we're talking 20 years ago, this, this gift was. But I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about cultivation and letting the donor set the pace and just spending time with donors. There always didn't have to be an agenda. There always didn't have to be this, you know, overarching thing that needed to be accomplished at every single meeting. And I learned from that cultivation technique that sometimes it's okay just to spend time. I mean, he was getting to know me. I was getting to know him. And it took six months of walking <laughs> my own personal walkathon to get that gift. And so I wanted to share that with you because it's a little different. And that's what I had shared with Carlos. And he said, you know, you should record that. And so there it is. Okay, my second story is same hospital. This was a Catholic hospital that I worked at. And this hospital was building a new facility in a neighborhood that was kind of north of the hospital. And that community did not have any healthcare choices. So this was like a big deal that a hospital was coming into the community. I mean, no longer did people have to drive 30 or 40 minutes to get cancer treatment or have a primary care physician and, you know, have have lab work or x-rays like this was a really big deal. However, and this happens often in healthcare fundraising, is that your healthcare leadership moves much quicker than the foundation and oftentimes forgets to tell the foundation of their plans. <laughs> so we had heard at the foundation that they were building this new building and we really only had about they had already purchased the land. We'd only had about eight months to raise money. Now, the hospital, they didn't technically need the money. However, if we raised any money for this project, would then be freed up to go to charity care. And so that's, you know, that covers the bills, you know, healthcare bills for people who are uninsured, people who can't afford health insurance or health care in general, and it just wipes away their hospital bills. And so we thought, well, this is just a great rally point. This is big for the community. And I was kind of at a loss. This was a new community that we were moving into. We hadn't done much annual giving. We didn't have a prospect list. And so I went to look at the site and I noticed that we were building like a little mini hospital right next to a church, a Catholic church, and we were a Catholic hospital. So I went back to my office and I just made a phone call to the priest and asked if I could come and meet with him. And he said, sure. So a couple of days go by and I went to sit down with this priest and I wanted to fill him in on that, you know, we were coming to the area 
that this is going to be amazing for his parishioners, that, you know, we would want to partner with him. I mean, there would be a little chapel at this hospital. It was a mini hospital, but there would be a little chapel. And he was really excited. And he did something that I've always just been in awe over. He asked if we needed help raising money. And I said, we do, that we needed prospects in the area and that I'd love to kind of partner with him to to do that. And he was thrilled. So what he did was he gave me 10 couples, their names, addresses, and phone numbers of people who he thought would be interested in supporting this new healthcare facility. Now, when I got back to my office and I started doing some research and I started looking at these couples, they were his biggest donors. And I was so shocked. I was so amazed that he would hand over on a silver platter his top 10 donors. But as I got to know him and and really appreciate him, frankly, I found that he just was one of these people that had this mentality of we can go further together. And he just had this, this mentality of abundance that, you know, by me handing these donors over to you, that doesn't mean I get less money. It means that the community as a whole is lifted up, which was just incredible. And so with only eight months to cultivate, to solicit, to steward, to get to know these 10 couples, I decided to bring them all together. And I thought, well, they go to the same church. They're all big donors. They all know this priest. So why don't I just host a little luncheon at the hospital, not the one that was being built, because of course it wasn't built yet. So I I sent an invitation to all 10 couples and said, you know, you're invited to a really exclusive lunch with the hospital president and the priest. And we're all just going to sit down and we want to tell you about the services we want to bring to the community. So nine out of the 10 couples came to that luncheon. It was in the executive boardroom. It was a, it was catered by hospital catering, which I know people say, oh, hospitals don't have great food, but they actually do. And so they, they catered it. It was beautiful. It was a hot lunch. You know, it was just lovely. And that's really my perfect event, frankly, is, you know, five to 10 couples sitting around a table with my CEO or my executive director. It is the perfect event. I would much rather have that event than have some massive, huge gala where there's like a thousand people there. So we sat down for this lunch and I had really tried to prep the hospital CEO and he was spectacular. And he he listened. The group laughed. They shared stories. The hospital CEO talked. You know, he didn't he didn't, you know, over communicate. He didn't take up all the airspace. He just spent, you know, 10 minutes talking about what's going to be in that facility. And he asked really great questions about what what do you think the community needs? And it was just it was a lively, fun, amazing discussion. Now, after those 10 couples left and that, you know, I asked when they would show up, I would meet them down at the hospital entrance and I would walk them one by one, you know, back up to the executive boardroom. Well, then after lunch, I escorted everybody back. 
that group, I knew they were amazing donors. I mean, they just got to sit down with a hospital president for lunch. They were treated like insiders. They knew what was coming to the community. They had a say. They, they literally were at the table when the hospital CEO was saying, what do we need for this community? And they could share their ideas. Well, the very next day, my sole purpose was to follow up with every single one of those nine couples that showed up. I actually showed, I actually <laughs> followed up with the 10th couple, but that's a whole other story. So the nine couples, that very next day, I called every single one of them, which they were so excited. They talked about how much they loved the lunch, that they were so excited about the future of the community and how exciting it was that they were going to have healthcare services and that they didn't have to drive, you know, an hour to see a specialist and like 30 minutes to see a primary care physician. Plus, it was going to bring jobs and it was right next to the Catholic church and we were a Catholic hospital. Like it just was all this like a like a match made in heaven. So after I called each couple, I made an appointment with every single couple for like so over the next like two weeks, I had these nine really important meetings. Now, I didn't solicit them. I sat down with the couple, you know, each couple one on one and talked about, you know, any thoughts that they'd had since the luncheon. I continued to listen. I asked really um, thought provoking questions about what the community needed. We just It was just a continuation of the luncheon. Every single couple accepted my meeting. Every single couple was excited to meet. And I mean, there were no cancellations. It was just incredible. So I just continued to cultivate these nine couples. And of course, the 10th, but that's another podcast. So these nine couples, at the end of the day, we ended up raising about $4 million from those nine couples. One couple, the wife was a retired nurse, and she wanted to set up nursing scholarships so that we could take people in the community, educate them, and then they would have a job in their same community that they love and lived in. Another one of the couples loved gardening, so they supported all of the landscaping, including an atrium garden inside of the healthcare facility but all of the landscaping on the outside of the facility. Another couple named the chapel and paid for the chapel to be put in. Another couple actually named the building. It was, it really was a picture perfect cultivation technique in a really short period of time. I mean, we're talking from the day I learned we were building a new facility to sitting down with that priest having that luncheon, having the cultivation meetings afterwards, and soliciting, all of that happened in like a six-month period, which is bananas, frankly. But it just worked out. I mean, the they could see the construction happening over these six months. We had informed them in all the different ways about how the construction was going, what issues we were running up against. I mean, we were very transparent where we had wins, you know, when this building would be open. Now we're posting jobs to fill the jobs. Like 
they I just kept them in the loop at every turn and they were invested. They were so invested in that community and in that new hospital system. And from that experience, I learned a lot. I learned that you can pull groups of people together and do larger cultivation before you do one-on-one cultivation, which was huge. That really changed how I raised money moving forward, which I'll talk about in future podcasts. The second thing I learned was that a scarcity mindset as a fundraiser is not a good thing. That priest was brilliant. And he showed me that when you share donors and you come together to serve a community, if you're two nonprofits, if you're five nonprofits, that you can go further together. He just really opened my eyes. And the other thing that I learned from that is that communication is key. Now, I know and you know that cultivation is all about communication, listening and speaking. But this was a different kind of communication. This was this was such a natural solicitation because these nine couples were so engaged. They knew our issues. They knew where we were having wins. They knew every step of the way with the construction and I I mean, it was just it was just such a natural, easy ask that I learned that engagement is really, (laughs) really key in that kind of environment. So my hope, fundraiser, is that these two stories open up your eyes to creative cultivation techniques. Everything doesn't have to be by the book. And if you just open yourself up to new ideas and partnerships, you'll be amazed at the different opportunities that open up. Okay, fundraiser, thanks for listening today and until next time. Hey, fundraiser, thanks so much for being here today. Did you know that we create a special page for each episode that has helpful links, episode highlights, standout quotes, and freebies? check it out in today's episode description. If you loved what you heard today, would you kindly give us a rating and review? It really helps other fundraising professionals find our Hey Fundraiser community. I'm Mary Hackett, and thank you for listening.